Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Lamentations chapter 4 with me. If you don't, it'll also be up on the screen. And I'm reading from NIV. Um, Verses 1 through 5 read, How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. Even the jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my people have become heartless like the ostriches in the desert. Because of the first, because of the thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those who brought up in royal purple now lie on ash heaps. And then verses 21 and 22. Rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom you who live in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup will be passed. You will be drunk and stripped naked. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile, but he will punish your son, daughter Edom, and expose your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. How are we feeling? Honest answers. Are we really feeling great? tired, it's cold outside, kind of miserable. I know I was kind of freezing when I was coming in here. It's ash season if you uh, get ashy. Miss Kristen Maddox, and I forgot my lotion at home. <laughs> but good morning, y'all. Um, my name is Kristen Maddox, and I am our Connections Director here at United City Greensboro. Um, and that's just a fancy way of just saying that I'm over welcoming people to our church, whether um, it's your first time here or, you know, your 20th time here, and you really don't feel plugged in. I would just really suggest and urge you um, to reach out to one of our Connect team members. I know Kayla's on the table today. Um, and we would love to talk to you, or you can come see me too. (laughs) But over the last three weeks, we've been going through the Book of Lamentations as a church. Each week, we've dived into a different chapter and explored the power and relevance of the practice of lamenting. The first week, Jay, he brought this wonderful message about the complexities um, of understanding our grief and how the power of lamenting Um, is just um, able to express our grief and our sorrow to God. And then the next week, Josh Leroy brought this awesome message on the fire of God. I think that's one of the best messages I've heard taught on the fire of God and how um, the importance of the fire of God being a healing um, force in our lives and also a transformative uh, force in our lives in our seasons of lament. And then last week, Corey, um, he talked about how even in our deepest sorrow, God is still a God of hope. And all in all, our deepest hope for this series of lamenting and the series about the book of Lamentations is that we find a way to reckon with our grief, loss, and sorrow and pursue hope 
in the Lord in spite of our circumstance. So at some point, unfortunately, um, we all are going to have to go through a season of grief, of loss, of sorrow. Um, And I know for me personally, I always was, I don't know, I was before, I would say last year, I really felt like I didn't understand this whole thing about lamenting. To be quite honest with you, I thought it was archaic. And it was just one of those practices that, yeah, the Jewish people did back in the day or, or yeah, the church back in the day did. Um, but it had no relevance and bearing for us today. Um, and it really took last year, I was actually on a panel with Dana Carr, Spencer, and Travion McNeil, just about Black Lives Matter. Um, and just Dana brought up this point um, about just what lament really meant. And I had never heard it really explained to me in a way that was digestible, but also in a way um, where it still held power and relevance today. Because for, I feel like for so many times, we just kind of want to glance over our pain. Nice for her just to sit down and talk to us about just what lament is and um, just really fully give a great explanation of it. So before we fully dive in today into the message, I would love to take a moment to zoom out a little bit. Zoom out and see, let's let's say, look at a puzzle. And you know, with a puzzle, you know, it's really hard to just look at the little pieces and put it together. It is more, um, it's more powerful when we see the picture so we can see how the little pieces fit together to pull out the big picture, right? So today we're gonna do that. And before we can really jump into the book of Lamentations, uh, Lamentations 4, we have to understand what it means to lament and what Lamentations means in general. We need to take a look at what Lamentations means. So two weeks ago, Josh Leroy kind of hit on this, uh, but the Hebrew Bible's title for the book of Lamentations is not Lamentations. Um, it's actually this word called akah. It translates to how in the English language, and this is so important. Aka, or how, is the very first word used in the book of Lamentations. Not some platitudes or sayings or comforts, or even the question why. And this word how is meant to, um, as a question of asking, not just how much longer is this going to take, God? How much longer do I have to go through this? But to emphasize just how much Jerusalem, the city of God, is suffering. We see the same word, aka, how, echoed in the first verse of chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4. So that's three of the five um, poems of um, Lamentations. We see this word echo. So it's important. It's expressing the age-old representation of trying to understand just how much things have changed and just how much has been lost. Um, This is so much, there's so much honesty and authenticity in that simple word, how. Rich Velodas has a quote saying, lamenting is spiritually mature response to sadness and sorrow. Our spiritual aliveness is not found in our ability to express our sadness. Our spiritual aliveness is found in our ability to bring it to God. So this leads to our overarching point today. Imagination. That reminds me of that SpongeBob episode. But, <laughs> but at least our overarching point today, that lament is a way to ultimately submit our how, 
are a car to the authority of God. We are about to dive into Lamentations 4, but before we do Jerusalem is to really understand where we are, really understand where Jerusalem is. Remember, we are in the city of Jerusalem. The city, God's city, had been destroyed and ransacked by the oppressive hands of the Babylonians. At this point, God had sent messenger after messenger after messenger to them to warn them that they had turned away from him and to turn back to him. He sent the messengers straight to the religious leaders, and they did not heed the warning. They thought they knew better. So God turned Jerusalem over to the oppressive hand of Babylon, and desolation and loss settles across a city that was once known as God's city. Through this same desolation and loss, we see this transition and exploration of immense grief communally. This leads us to chapter four, where we are today. And bear with me, because we are not just going to read one or two verses. We're going to read the whole thing. So um, it's going to be on the screens here, uh, but I'll kick us off. Lamentations four. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold, how they have regarded as earthen pots the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breasts. They nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongues of the nursing infants stick to the roof of their mouths for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple, royal purple, embraced ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrong for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their faces are blacker than soot. They are not recognizable in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by lack of fruits of the field. The hands of food during the destruction have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any inhabitants of the world that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the, sh the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. 
So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save. They dogged our steps so that we, would not, we could not walk in our own streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us into the mountains, and they lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. And that's just Babylon right there. Um, you will dwell in the land of us, but you also, the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer, but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish, he will uncover your sins. Intense, right? <laughs> um, so through these 22 verses, we are taken through a range of the impacts of the desolation and suffering. We get to really see the full scope of the Akka, just how much Jerusalem had suffered. We see these two main impacts through two primary groups, which is Jerusalem's families and Jerusalem's religious leaders. We see this communal expression of grappling with the tension between what was and what is. In the tension of the glory of the past and the reality of the moment, Jerusalem had lost, as there the how lies. Just how much Jerusalem had lost and suffered. The tension of just how dim the gold had grown and just how scattered the holy stones. There's this communal expression and expectancy of hope in not just God alone, but in the human ability to change circumstances through the watchful hope of another nation coming to liberate them. And um, also through the vain hope uh, of hoping in their king, the, the scripture says the Lord's anointed would be able to protect them. It is here we find the desolation of Jerusalem and the lament of God's people. It isn't until verse 21 through 22 that we even get to see a glimmer of hope, guys. Um, and this glimmer of hope is almost like seeing a tiny light in the dark tunnel or even a break within the fog. And we see that glimmer of hope through the promise that Babylon, or the daughter of Edom, um, would eventually experience the same suffering that Jerusalem experienced. And also that Jerusalem's suffering had come to an end. I know some of y'all are like, okay, this girl's crazy. She just made us read this whole depressing chapter in Lamentations 4 about all this crazy stuff happening, but what's the point? Well, it is literally, I mean, we read through Lamentations 4 and we're literally seeing just how destitute and broken Jerusalem was at this time. We even see the children were begging for food and even wild animals were taking better care of their children than the people of Jerusalem. That's how destitute, guys. And then we also see the compassionate mothers who were once so compassionate, loved their children actually eating them. 
like, I don't know about you, but that's not something typical people just do off the street. I want us to realize just how desolate, just how destitute, and just how broken, straight from the suffering to the, because so often we want to scree- so we want to skip straight from the suffering to the restoration. When we need to dwell in the muck, in the mire, in the reality of just how far from God we have turned. We can't even begin to understand our proximity to God or where we are with God because we're so unwilling to sit in the present and sit in the reality of our consequences of our actions. So often we want to be restored, but not go through the process it takes us to get there. Latasha Morrison has a quote that says, to lament, to express, is to re- means to express sorrow or regret. Lamenting something horrific that has taken place allows a deep connection to form between the person lamenting and the harm that was done. And the emotional connection is the first step in creating a, a pathway for healing and hope. We have to sit in the sorrow, avoid trying to fix it right away, Avoid our attempts to make it okay. The people of Jerusalem had to do this. So why do we think we don't have to? They even had to watch as their religious leaders and prophets and priests had turned their backs to the Lord to the point of the religious leaders murdering the righteous. I mean, that's a big problem, guys. There was a clear distinction between the righteous and the religious leaders at this point. The people that were supposed to be shepherding the people, the religious leaders didn't want to hear what the Lord had to say. They didn't want to hear the messengers that the Lord sent time and time again, ultimately for their benefit. The religious leaders didn't want to heed the warnings, so they traded their robes of holiness and walking in the way of God to don the robes drenched in blood of, of the sin of killing the righteous. Robes making them morally, richly, and ceremoniously unclean. They went from presenting sacrifices for sin to sacrificing the righteous to sin. I want to bring this a little bit closer to home for us. That would be like seeing Jay, Pastor Anderson in the back, Morgan, or anybody else on our, our um, leadership team at United Greens. Take a minute. But really, though, it would be like seeing one of us deciding to choose sin and neglect warning after warning so that we could remain in it instead of surrendering it over to God. And reorient. Please, our first point today that lament is meant to orient, reorient, and turn us to God. So, lament helps us evaluate where we are. In Jerusalem's case, in chapter 4, it helps them assess just how far from God they had turned. And we see this acknowledgement in verse 22 when Jerusalem acknowledges the punishment of their sin was over. Verse 22 is so insightful because we don't just see them acknowledging their sin. They also acknowledge the weight and consequences of their sin and who the sin had been done to, which was God. We also see a communal acceptance of that. A lot of times it's through our lament and the process of reorienting and turning us towards God 
that we see that need, we, that we see really what fully needs to be pruned in our lives. A lot of times lament paves the way for repentance and repentance paves the way to restoration. I can attest to this even personally because um, even the seasons, heavy seasons of lamenting in my own life, um, when the Lord was really trying to reorient me and reorient um, my eyes and turn them towards him, he had to prune certain things from my life. Even in those seasons where hurt and harm were done to me, the Lord was trying to do a new thing within me. And a lot of times, the things that he was trying to prune was bitterness. So I want to take a minute to kind of sidebar and talk about bitterness real quick. But um, typically, as uh, the roots of bitterness dug deeper within my life, I would find myself turning to circumstance and not to God. I would find myself allowing that wound to be festered with bitterness and just ultimately feel myself rotten away. I even had to be reminded of this recently, um, sitting in the car with a friend. She's here today, Chelsea Dalda. <laughs> um, we were just talking about life and just like immense sorrows and immense losses in our life. And um, she had to remind me of this, to be watchful of a root of bitterness springing up because it honestly doesn't just have a personal impact, but it has a communal impact as well. As she was echoing Hebrews 12, 15, I really had to sit there and just ponder with God just about how much bitterness I had allowed to sip into my life and seep into my life. And I can't emphasize this enough because I feel like it needs to be said. Feeling hurt is not a sin at all. It's not a sin. But it's when we allow bitterness to seep into the wound and prevent us from healing, that's where the sin starts to take place. This leads me to our second point today, that our sin can impact us communally, but so can lamenting communally. Where sin flourishes, so does destruction. We see this so evidently in the state of Jerusalem and religious leaders at this point in Lamentations 4. It even tells us in verse 18 that Jerusalem's end was drawing near and their days were numbered. And just in layman's terms, because a lot of times I have to read back in layman's terms to myself, that means they were about gone, guys. They were at their, their end. Like, they, there was, like, no more. There was no hope. There, uh, well, not that there was no hope, but it didn't look like there was any hope in sight um, for them. But we see in verse, uh, through those 20 verses in Lamentations 4, we see the egregious impacts of how sin can live and dwell communally to the point of utter desolation. This actually reminds me of uh, a story um, in my own life of how two years ago I went backpacking with a couple of friends. And trust me, y'all, I warned everybody because I had been once before and I did the wrong thing. So I warned everybody. I was like, make sure you only pack as much as you can carry. Make sure you only have the necessities. Make sure you pack as much as you can carry. Make sure you have the... the... Exactly. <laughs> well, I kid you not. One of my friends showed up day of with this massive tent. And when I say this tent was massive, it literally had partitions for rooms. 
And the reason I had warned, you know, warned my friends about this is because if you've been backpacking before, you would fully understand that you have to live with the weight of what you carry. And when I'm like, and I kind of want to go back to this massive thing. I mean, this tent was kind of like the Disney world of tents. I mean, no matter which way you looked, there was more. And the funny part about it was only two people were sleeping in the tent. <laughs> but, you know, the problem really came when we had, we had to find out how we were going to get this big tent <laughs> up the mountain because we were going, when I say we were backpacking, we were going out into the mountains, out on the Appalachian Trail. Like, it, there was no leaving it to the side. We had to carry it with us. So, <laughs> the, like I said, the problem came fully when we had to decide how we were getting up the mountain. And quickly we realized that the tent was not a weight to be bared alone. It had to be, um, it had to be bore communally. So you're probably wondering, how does this tie in? Funny story about backpacking, ha ha ha. Well, but just as the impact of the weight of the tent uh, was felt communally with my friends, so was the sin of Jerusalem. Just as we bore the weight of the tent together, as we ascended the mountain together, this is the same with lament. Communally lamenting helps us realize that we are not alone in our lament and that we, are, we see also a communal shift um, and turning of our hope to God. Again, we see this in verse 22. We see at the very end of verse 22, this glimmer of hope and that the suffering would end because the suffering isn't forever, but we serve a God that is. This leads to our last and final point today, that our lament should be honest. There is nothing we can hide from God. I don't know if you've tried, but it ain't nothing you can hide from him. There are no falsities to trick God because he sees all and he knows all and he knows the posture of our hearts. We see this in Lamentations 4 um, that the Jerusalem literally was being super honest. And some of y'all might think too honest, like they were talking about boiling kids and all this stuff. But it was for a reason. They gave their honest lament to God. I want to take another moment to zoom out. Did you know that many biblical scholars actually believe the book of Lamentations was written more than likely to be prayed or sung in worship services? And the point of these worship services was asking God for forgiveness and restoration. In short, it was meant to basically be an expression of our worship, our lament is. Our lamenting is an expression of our worship, so it is very vitally important that we're honest and authentic in it. The Lord can already see just how desolate things are. He can already see just how broken we are, but he still desires for us to invite him into our lament. He wants the fullness and honesty of our aka, our how, because he loves us. So I'm about to close. I don't know who wants to come up here and start playing. But, <laughs> but um, I'm just reminded of this, another example in my life. I have a lot of examples, guys. Um, but it reminds me of this time that my brother and I were at home alone. Our parents were out. And, of course, me and my brother, we love to roughhouse, you know, as kids do. 
Um, and our parents will always warn us, Kristen and Brian, do not run in the house. Kristen and Brian, do not run in the house. Kristen and Brian, do not. Yeah. <laughs> well, we never listened to that when our parents were gone. We did what we want because we were kids and we thought we knew better. Well, one, this one particular day, my brother and I had the best idea ever. We decided to play tag in, in the house. And I just remember, I was darting. I was running. I was going for it. She a runner. She a try to start. I'm just kidding. I don't know what that song means, so strike it from it. Just... <laughs> But, um, but no, I was running through the house and I cut the corner really fast. And my brother, I don't know what happened to him. All I hear is a loud bang. And I'm like, oh God, what just happened? Now he's my older brother. So I was like, oh, he's going to be fine, you know. Um, but my stomach dropped when I looked back behind me. I saw my brother's knee and then I saw a hole in the wall. Now, my brother, you know, he's robust. He used to play football. So he was fine. His knee was fine, y'all. I wasn't even worried about that at that point. But um, yes, there was this huge gaping hole in the wall. And my first reaction wasn't to, like, honestly even check on my brother. It was, how am I going to hide this? I was a weird kid and I wasn't like most kids. So, you know, like most kids drew pictures and stuff. Um, but I used to write poetry and then I used to like write my own stories and all that stuff. And I was like, maybe I can go into my room, pick out one of my stories, put it in a frame and like cover that hole up, cover it up with pretty words. Because to be honest with you guys, there was a hole, a big gaping hole of my disobedience in the wall. I'm not going to lie. That was one of the scariest times of my life. Because as I heard the garage door go up that day, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be alive after this. <laughs> because I was so worried about um, just being punished for my disobedience. And, um, and I will say, our parents did come home. And we were reprimanded and obviously punished, uh, as we probably should have been. But something that I really learned from that was that the punishment didn't negate the fact that our parents loved us and just um, how they just wanted the best for us. And this is the same with God. He doesn't want us to just cover the hole up with pretty words. He really wants the full honesty and truth of our lament. And our, our, our disobedience doesn't make him love us any less. So we can rest in that promise today. And I'm going to pray over us. Lord, thank you so much for today, God. Um, I just pray over each and every one of us today, Lord, that we just fully um, learn to turn towards you and our lament, God that we don't continue to try to hide um, behind pretty words or hide behind um, just our disobedience um, in, in fact of like not turning towards you um, and loving you, God. 
I also pray for, for us, if we struggle with the idea of lament, the practice of lament, God, that you do an inner work in us, God, that we seek answers um, in our personal times with you, God, but also communally, Lord, um, in house churches. I pray for healing, God. Um, I pray for um, the person in here that doesn't want to sit in, in the, the muck and the mire, God. Um, I pray that we sit there, God, and we turn our eyes towards you. We love you. And in your name we pray. Amen.